0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Amen, church. Well, good evening. How's everyone doing today? Great. Good. You're great. You're glad you're in the house of the Lord. Man, the worship was awesome. That, that, I think it was the second or third song. The first time I heard it today it was just amazing. Just the call... The, It's coming, you know, the wedding supper of the Lamb to get ready, and that's what we're doing tonight. We're making sure that we've got oil in our lamps and our wicks are trimmed, that we are ready when the Lord comes. We don't want to be caught off guard. We are longing for, we are expecting, we are believing it's any moment, um, and that's what we're here to worship Him and to hear from His Word tonight. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 14 tonight. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. And uh, as you're turning there, Joshua chapter 14 tonight, uh, the title of the message is Don't Waste Your Life. Don't Waste Your Life. And you will look at a a pretty amazing character tonight. I just want to remind us on this day, for a lot of people it's a different, a mix of emotions. All that we've been through as a country uh, on the inauguration of our new president, uh, I want to remind us what God's word exhorts us to. I I know you know this. Uh, And sometimes it's great to be reminded. Other times it might be challenging depending on where you're at. But God's word exhorts us. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God. And so. Where, 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 wherever you land and however you voted, our responsibility as believers is for the next four years to, to pray, like we are always supposed to pray. Pray for who's ever in charge, whether we like them, whether we agree with them or not, we pray. We pray God's hand. We pray for God's wisdom. We pray for humility. Uh, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, so we pray for some humility, that God may pour his grace upon our leadership and thereby um, Like Paul Paul writes to Timothy, that we might live a quiet life. He goes on to say, so that people can come to know God and Savior. So I'll pray in just a moment, but pick up with me Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. We see see this short story about a pretty incredible man in the midst of our series in Joshua. Verse 6, it says, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly follow the Lord my God." And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years, 45 years, wow, since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old, And I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war, for going and coming. Verse 12. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Caleb blessed him. Excuse me. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Then the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. The Anakim were giants, and we'll get to that in a moment. And the land had rest from war. Let's pray. Father, we thank you to be in your house tonight. No matter what we think about what's going on, we still are so thankful to be in a free country where we can worship, where we can proclaim the gospel, where we can sing, where we can fellowship. And Lord, we do pray. We pray for our new president, President Biden. We ask God you'd give him wisdom, you would give him guidance, you would give him humility. Father, we do pray that the fear of God would be upon not just himself, but upon all the branches of our leadership and government, God, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, God. And so we pray, we pray, we pray, God, that the fear of God, that righteousness would come upon this nation once again. So, Lord, move as only you can move. And I pray tonight for each of us that have gathered here to hear from you. Lord, we need to hear from you. God, we need encouragement tonight, but we also, I know from this text, God, you have a a word of challenge for us tonight. We don't want to waste our life. The word tonight, too to us, Lord, I believe from, from your spirit is do not waste our lives, God. Do not waste it. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, speak, challenge, convict, and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Recently, I was, I was going through the internet and I came across a clip from a sermon that I had heard about and seen years ago. It was a very powerful sermon, a very famous sermon, at least in some circles. And at first, it was a sermon that caught a lot of people off guard, You see, the sermon was given to about 40,000 college students over 20 some years ago, what was called a passion conference. The the young adults had gathered to worship and to be inspired with some great teaching. And a middle aged guy that was graying shows up in front of this crowd. It was the middle of the day, and they seemed to be distracted. And this guy, with his dockers on and his collared shirt that was tucked in, started to, to preach. And he didn't know if he would get their attention. And before he opened his mouth, he bowed his head and, and prayed, "Oh Spirit of God, fill me, may I, may I reach, may your word shake and may it come alive into the hearts of each and one of these students. At that moment, a guy by the name of John Piper, some of you know him, a, a great pastor and author, gave one of his most famous messages. It was called his Seashells Message. And he began like this, and I'll read some of the clips from the sermon, because as I listened to it again, my heart was stirred and I pray it would stir yours. He said this, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. You don't have to be smart or good looking or, or from a good family, he said. You just have to know a few basic, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay your life down for them. Five minutes into his message, he gave this analogy, this comparison that rocked many. He told a story that was a true story about his church. He said, at that time, three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby was 80 years of age, single her entire life, and a nurse, she poured out her life for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards was a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and in her retirement, she partnered up with Ruby. She also was pushing 80 years of age, going from village to village in Cameroon. Well, on their way to one village, the brakes gave way, and over a cliff they went, and they died instantly. And he asked the people, Was this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost a whole life devoted to one idea. Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. In 20 years after, the most, after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and Mexico, they flew into eternity and death in that moment. And he asked again, is this a tragedy? And many in the crowd in that moment knew the right answer, and they said, no, it's not a tragedy. And that's right, he said, no, it's not. And He went on to say, and I hope you hear, he, he said, I'll tell you what a tragedy is. And he pulled a page out of Reader's Digest. Some of you know what Reader's Digest are, those little pamphlets, and he tells the true story about Bob and Penny. Bob and Penny, they took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. Bob was 59 and, and Penny was 51. They lived at that time in Punta Gorda in Florida where they cruised on their 30-foot trawler, played softball, and spent their days collecting seashells. That was the epitome of their life. Two people who had bought into the um, quote-unquote American dream. He he thundered in that moment. He said, I'll tell you the real tragedy. Bob and Penny are the real tragedy because they've lived their life. They've come to this moment at the halfway point of their life, and, and that's it. And he said, there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy into this dream, really, this lie. And he says, and I say it with him tonight, with all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. Don't drink what is being offered to you. Because at the last chapter in your life, you will stand before God. That's what the Bible says. You will give an account. You will present to him your life and what he's given to you and what you did with that. And at the end of the day, I say to you tonight, do you want to be like Bob and Penny where you stand before God and you say, here's my seashells. Here's my handicap and my golf score. Here's, Here's my retirement account. Now listen, hear me wrong. Those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but is that the goal? Is that what you're living for? If that's it it's going to be wood hay and stubble. He he pleaded with them and I say to us tonight don't waste your life. And the reality is we know so many people Christians as well that are wasting their life and they really don't care that they're wasting it. There's some of you in this room here, there's some that are listening online and you're going to waste your life. All you're really hoping for is that people like you that you fit in. That you get a decent job, that you live a comfortable life, that it's kind of easy, you don't get sick, you kind of marry the right person, you don't get too many problems, and you just kind of make your way through. That's, that's, what, that's the extent of your expectations. I want to say to you tonight, to you young people, to you older people, to you people somewhere in the middle, tonight we have the opportunity to reassess where we are at and say, am I wasting my life? I don't want to waste the life that God has given me. In his message, he quoted a very famous poem, at least a line from it. Some of you have heard it. It goes like this. Only one life, and it will soon be past. And it's only what's done for Christ that will last. He goes on to say that, and the crowd was moved, and many from that moment, there was testimonies. I was reading an article this week how their, their lives were forever affected from that moment. The Holy Spirit did something As only the Holy Spirit can do, he took the words of that middle-aged, gray-haired man and he connected to the hearts of those college-age students. Why? Because it was truth. And many from that day testified that they went into lives of ministry. Some went into the marketplace, but they went with a whole different perspective, that they were determined not to waste their life. And tonight, we look at a man who didn't buy into the quote-unquote American dream or the quote-unquote Israel dream, that he, he, he wasn't simply going to be about comfort. He wasn't simply going to be about taking the easy way. He was a man who really didn't understand the word retirement, at least not in the way that so many understand it today. He was a man who didn't have the word quit in his vocabulary. He was a man who was determined to make a difference in his generation with his family. He was determined not to waste the life that God had given to him. So we're going to look at his story tonight. And before we do, let me give us, give us a little backdrop. We, if you've noticed, I, I, I jumped forward a few chapters as we make our way through Joshua. And to be honest with you, if you're reading through and following along, we're into the part of the scriptures that are they're a bit tedious. I mean, let me be honest. They, they're a bit boring. I'm not saying they're not important. There, there's nothing in God's word that is unimportant. But what we have in these chapters... And we'll pick up again in a, you know, towards the back end. It gets really exciting again. But we have here is a list of cities that were conquered. Uh, uh, Certain nations that were defeated. And then the subsequent allotment of that land to the different tribes of Israel. And it reads just like that. It kind of reads like a real estate deed. You're like, this went here and this went there. And the boundary lines are there. This city was defeated. It also gives us some stories about the cities that are yet To be defeated, but in the middle of these chapters, we have these brief interludes, these short vignettes, and they introduce us to a few different characters. Some, some that are held out for us as incredible examples of faith. Like, look at this person. Look what they did. Look how they trusted in God. And others that we will see that are held up to us as warnings of those who shrink back, those who play it safe, those who don't trust the Lord. But each one of these things, I want to say this, they are important because each one of these conquered cities, each one of these um, allotments of land, they, they testify, rem- remember this, they testify to a God who keeps his word. Yes, he does. So they might seem boring and tedious, but remember this every time it says they got this portion, they got this portion, it was in fulfillment to a promise that was made to a man 400 years earlier, to a man by the name of Abraham, when God said, I will give you this land and to your descendants. And here his descendants were 400 years later, claiming this part, this part, that part. Why? Because God made a promise, and God always keeps his word. Yes, he does. And so it might seem tedious or boring, but listen, it is absolutely important. Just like every day of our life, sometimes it might seem boring, might seem tedious, but God is keeping his promises. So we come across this person. In this vignette, in the time of struggle, we find one man. One of my favorite characters, I'll be honest with you, in all of the Bible, I-, I love the story of Caleb. He's one of those people I can't wait to meet when I get to heaven. Like, I, There's a few guys that are on my list, certainly. I can't wait to meet David and Paul, but Caleb is the guy. I just feel like Caleb's the guy that all the other guys want to hang out with. You know? He's like, oh, that guy, Caleb. You know? He's like, I, you know, there's just something about him. I think, I think when history is complete, and the lives of men and women are are measured, there'll be a few men and women that will just seem to stand a little taller than the rest. And I think when, when, when history is rolled up and it's all complete, we'll see Caleb standing a little bit taller than the rest. A man of dogged faith. A man whose testimony was that he wholeheartedly served the Lord. A man that... We encounter earlier in the scriptures, back in Numbers chapter 13, as a young man, he along with Joshua were sent to spy out the land. 45 years, some of you know the story, but 45 years have passed since that moment. If you know anything about the the story of Exodus and Deuteronomy, we know what happened during those 40 years. A A whole generation died off. A whole generation of people that Joshua grew up with, people that he looked up to, family, friends, People that he prayed with, worshipped with, farmed with, fought with. They all died, and many of them in unbelief, many of them never really receiving. And for 45 years, Joshua has had a dream. Excuse me, Caleb has had a dream. Joshua, too. But Caleb had a dream in his heart. And it was a dream about a particular place. But more than that, it was because of a promise that God had given to him. He says, and he says it several times, God made a promise. Remember what Moses said, every place where our feet touches, God has given that to us. And Caleb had put his feet on a particular place in Israel. And he said, this is mine. This belongs to me and this belongs to my family. Why? Because God said it. And for 45 years... Some of you aren't even in your 20s yet. Some of you are a little bit later, but think about what was going on in your life for some of you 45 years ago. 45 years. He holds on to this dream. He holds on to this vision. He holds on to the promise that God had given to him. We're told Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a Kenizzite, what does that mean? He's a Kenizzite. What that means, the Kenizzites were actually a part of the ancient land of Canaan. They were actually a people group that were marked out for destruction. We don't know what happened, but somewhere along the way, Caleb's perhaps grandfather or great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather, somewhere along the way, he realized, I'm getting out of Canaan. And I've heard the stories of Israel and Israel's God. And he linked up with the Israelites. And so somewhere along the way, the Canaanites got uh, married, as it were. They were embraced and grafted into the Jewish people. And so Caleb was a Jew, but he was also a Canaanite, and he has this incredible faith. And so when the time came when Joshua was divvying up the land, when the tribe of Dan came, or Naphtali came, or Issachar came, or Benjamin or Simeon, well, Judah, that's the tribe of Caleb, that's where he belongs. It was Judah's turn to get their portion And Caleb says this is the day, and Caleb comes forward, and he comes and he presents his case before the leader who was responsible for divvying up the land. But I love it because when we think about this, he comes and he presents his case, but he's not just addressing the leader of the nation. Oh, he was, but he was also addressing an old friend. The only man in all of Israel who knew exactly what Caleb knew, who felt the exact same way that Caleb felt who had seen the very same things, who had experienced the same highs and the same lows, who had the same kind of faith. These were two men who had the same heart that, that beat for God, that trusted in God. And I, couldn't, I can't help but think and using my imagination when Joshua sees his friend Caleb, he must have just smiled. Maybe they gave each other a wink. Maybe they gave a little, you know, shoulder. But I don't know. They did something. It was like, these were old friends. It was official business, but Caleb makes his case. We were younger men then, but that same passion, it was obvious, it, you know, it was still within the belly of Caleb. And he starts to rehearse to Joshua, and really before the entire courts, and it's recorded for all of eternity. And he says, you remember what God said. You remember the promise about our feet and what God said would happen. God said he would give us this land, and he says it several times back. He also recounts the tragic events You see, Joshua, along with Caleb and 10 others, were sent to spy out the land. You guys are familiar with that story. They all saw the same thing. They all saw that it was a good land. Giant grapes, fertile soil, beautiful hills, great views, an ocean, a river. I mean, there were so many things, it was better than God had even said it was. And they all came back and, yes, it's incredible, it's incredible, incredible. But 10 of them saw only impossibilities. But there's giants, there's Anakim. There's, it's too hard, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do this, we can't do that. Where Joshua and Caleb only saw possibilities. That's right. They saw the giants, but Joshua and Caleb saw God. Amen. And from that moment, you know the story, they, they, the, the children of Israel decided not to trust the very God who had delivered them from Egypt very recently with his mighty outstretched arm, the plagues, the Red Sea parting. They had seen God do the miraculous and they couldn't trust him to take care of a few giants. And they shrunk back, and you know the story, that entire generation was wasted and they died in the wilderness. And you kind of remember, Joshua, you remember? You remember the eyes that were rolling? You remember the gestures that we received when you and I alone were the ones that trusted? You remember the pain in, in our hearts when we knew? What was about to happen when we begged and pleaded and they wouldn't listen. You know the pain in the hearts when our countrymen folded and they would not lean into or trust God. Josh, you know that this, these last 40 years, in many ways, they were needless, they were wasteful. So many people wasted their lives, but, but you and I, we're still here. And God has been faithful. He's been faithful to me, he's been faithful to you. And I love what he goes on to say, and he goes... I, man, he's just amazing. He's, he's 85 and he's like, and I am just as strong today as I was then. That's right. I am just as ready to fight today as I was ready to fight then. You know, at 85, you might think, hey, hey Josh, if I could just get maybe like a condo near Tel Aviv, it'd be great. Maybe a little cabin overlooking Galilee. If we get a little gated community, I can play a little golf or something. How does that sound? You and you, we can play bocce ball in the evening. We can swap stories. We can go play bridge together. You know, I don't know. Like, No, that's not what he says. He's like, give me this land. I am ready to fight. He's 85 years old. But I also want us to notice something. For Caleb, again, it wasn't just any piece of land. It was a particular piece of land. It was the place where he had been. We, we see the name of it. It's given to us. It's a name called Hebron. You see, for Caleb, he knew that land at that point was ground zero as far as Israel was concerned. You see, in Hebron, it was the very first piece of land that Israel as a nation legally owned. Some of you know the story. It was there, sadly, where Abraham's wife, Sarah, died. And Abraham bargains and haggles and he buys that, the cave, the cave of Machpelah. He owns it. Legally, it's his. It belongs to Israel. And there in that cave, the cave of the patriarchs, Abraham was buried. Sarah was buried. Isaac and Leah and Jacob and, you know, and Rachel and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob, they were buried there. You see, it was a place of great faith. Not only that, Hebron, I don't know if you realize this or not, but in Genesis 13, under the trees of Mamre, which is at Hebron, the very first altar that Abraham builds in worship to the Lord was at Hebron. And Cave's like, that's the place I want. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to call home. Oh, yeah, and there's giants. He even, he even brings it up when he tells the story. Yeah, that was the place of the Anakim, the men of renowned of old. They were the descendants of the Nephilim, or Nephilim, you've heard that before. They were the giants. So evidently there's some descendants, there's some really big Shaquille O'Neal still hanging out there in the Promised Land. And all the other men were shrinking back. Don't Mind you, at that time, the average height of a, a Jewish person or in the Middle East was somewhere between 5'4 and 5'6, and these guys were probably pushing 8 foot or, or greater. Goliath maybe in between eight and nine foot. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's the place I want. That's the fight I want. We'll see later on when you read through, there's a lot of other tribes like Dan says, I don't want to fight there. It's too hard. Can you give me somewhere else? Joshua's like, give me the toughest place. That's where I want to go. Where's the giants? Yeah, point me in that direction. That's the land that God promised. That's the land that I want to have. The high country, give me this mountain. The one that God promised By God's grace, I still have my strength. He obviously has his strength emotionally. He still has his strength mentally. He's got all his wits about him. And I would even say he still has his strength at 85 years old physically. He's ready to fight. I want to show you a quick clip. And and this is a clip of my my children's great-grandfather. And this was taken just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, This is Ray's dad. Let me give you a little background. He is 91 my kids call him Uh Some of you call him Buck. We call him Grandpa. But 91 years of age, if you pull up this clip, I want to show you something. I just think it's funny. And I hope Grandpa's watching this. I don't know. I love that he's got one flannel, and he took another flannel off there. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> oh but he's God. 91 doing pull-ups. I, I just like... I know a lot of you out there, you can't even do one pull-up and you're in your 30s. And some of you are feeling really ashamed of yourself right now. You're like, I've got to get a pull-up bar. I've got to get my life together. Um, Anyway, I just love that because grandpa, my wife's grandfather, is a man who is full of faith. Who is like, if you come on Tuesday morning to our prayer meeting, you'll hear a man that's like ready to fight and spiritually all the time. And, and some people go, Ah, Caleb, he couldn't have fought. I mean, maybe he was just being a little hyperbolic, getting a little excited. You know, as was weak. I don't know. I mean, Grandpa's was pull, doing pull-ups at 91. I'm thinking Caleb can pull a sword or pull a bow. He was ready to fight. I love that about him. Again, he's the kind of guy. Now you're thinking, I'm going to put him on my list. That is a guy I want to search out in heaven. I do think I really, I, I want to get to know this guy. What was the secret to Caleb's greatness? I don't think it's that difficult to answer. It was obvious he had total faith in God. He utterly gave himself to God. It's been said great men are never that complicated. The complicated ones are, are the weak ones, always conflicted about what to do, competing motives and causes and desires they see every side of an issue and then they continue to see more sides and more issues and they never arrive at a verdict. They never come to a place of decision. They never come to a singleness of mind and are able to move forward. Great men like Caleb are not like that. They're not naive. Oh, they're not foolish, nor are they reckless. They understand there are different sides. They realize there are issues and at times they can be complicated, but they're able to see the main thing. And they're able to discern what God is saying and what God's will is. And when they hear from God, they're able to doggedly, determinedly stay on that path and say, I will trust, I will move forward, I will keep my eyes on you. Like I said, I don't think Caleb was all that complicated of a man. I'm not saying he was simplistic by any stretch of the imagination, but he knew who his God was. God said it, that settles it, let's go. You see, he saw the same thing that others saw. They saw impossibilities, he only saw possibilities. Hallelujah. Alan Redpath, some of you may have heard of him. He wrote a commentary on the book of Joshua. He said this The majority measured the giants against their own strength. That's it. That's it. Caleb and Joshua measured the giants against God. The majority trembled while the two triumphed. The majority had great giants and a little God. Caleb had a great God and little giants. Are your giants huge and your God, is he little, or is your God huge and the giants, the things that you're facing, little? So Joshua says, yes, (laughs) this land is yours. Caleb goes, and later on we'll read about how he actually acquires this land in chapter 15. You can read it this week. It talks about how his kids get even more of it. The faith that he had was passed on, but I want to pull a few application points before we go into a time of continued worship and ministry and receiving communion together. But what does Caleb teach us about not wasting your life? You see, for Caleb, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Caleb was a big God type of person. He was a big God or not a little God. Caleb was a man, if he could stand here today, would say, don't waste your life. Don't make your life about seashells or whatever else it is that you're about. If that's your goal, oh, man, God help you. What does Caleb teach us? Number one. I think Caleb realized God is always after our whole heart. And it's never too soon to put God first in everything you do. Now, for some of you you realize this, you've heard it before. God is after your heart. He's after your heart. But not a portion of your heart. Not a slice of your heart. Not three-quarters, not 99%. He wants your entire heart. Your heart is, it's your affections. It's your, it's your, your will, your mind, your emotions. It's your purpose. Joshua, in fact, acknowledges that Caleb says it three times about himself in the book of Joshua. It says, Caleb says three times, because I wholeheartedly serve the Lord. In fact, God said this in Numbers chapter 14. It should be in your, in your notes. This is what God testified about Caleb. God says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit. A different spirit. Do you have a different spirit in you and upon you? He says he had a different spirit, and God says he follows me wholeheartedly, and I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Hallelujah. Does God have your heart? Does God have your heart? How much of your heart does God have? Are your affections divided? Are there so many things competing for your time and attention and your, your resources? Or do you truly seek first the kingdom and his righteousness? Does God have your heart? Does he have your whole heart? Proverbs chapter 4 warns us. It warns us, says this, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Caleb understood that. That's why Caleb says, "No, my whole heart." He understood. I got to guard this. It belongs to God. He has my worship. He has my allegiance. My purposes are His. Whatever He says. Are you guarding your heart? Do you even know where your heart is, or do you just kind of listen to whatever the world says? Well, my heart goes wherever it goes. The heart wants what the heart wants. Listen, that's a hallmark card or something stupid. That's going to lead you down to a cul-de-sac and a dead end. We're called to guard our hearts, to know what we are allowing in to protect it. Why? Because what's in our heart determines the course of your life. Those 10 spies, they didn't guard their hearts. It certainly wasn't wholehearted, and they died. They wasted their life while Caleb guarded his heart. He presented it wholly to God, and it went well. Jesus said this, and you know this, when he talked about the greatest commandment, he says in John, uh, Matthew 22, He says, Jesus Christ, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. I, I highlighted or underlined the word all because it's drawing our attention to the fact that when God wants these things, he could have just said all once, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but he said all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The emphasis there on all. Why? Because we have a tendency to give them a part. And really that's the battle of our lives is to continue to say, God, search my heart. God, forgive me in my divided and distracted mind. Lord I, Lord, I give it to you. Fill me with your spirit. Take my heart. Show me the competing idols of my heart. Remove them, rip them out. I want, I want to serve you wholeheartedly. Pastor Daniel talked a lot about this last week. And if you didn't hear it, I encourage you to listen to the message about wholehearted, uh, wholeheartedness. And he talked about obedience. And there's a lot of ways that we can measure if God has our whole heart, but I love what he really drilled down on. It's about obedience. <laughs> Because at the end of that, day, you can say, oh, God has my heart and this or that. But are you obeying? Because that's how you know. Jesus, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And it's not, if you really love me, you better keep my commands and prove it. You know? No, it's like, no, you know that you really love him. You know that he has your whole heart when you're like, Lord, I want to do your commands. I want to follow you. I trust you. It shows up in obedience. Number two, how, what made Caleb so great? Why, did he, why was he able to not waste his life? He knew this. God always keeps his promise, or another way. It's never too late for God to fulfill a promise. 45 years for that promise to come to pass. 45 years for that promise to come to pass. God always keeps his promises. Five times in these short verses, Caleb says, and God said, and God said, and God said. He held on to what God had promised. Again, Caleb was not complicated. God said it, that settles it, it's gonna happen. 45 years, it didn't matter. He recalls the past, God's goodness, his faithfulness, and he brings it into his present life. Caleb, perhaps, we don't know, I can only speculate, his heart must have, in some way, If it wasn't, at least have been tempted to be broken when they made that awful decision. When he knew from that moment the people that he loved would never see the land that he saw. Oh, he knew one day he's going to see it again. But his family, his friends, other soldiers, they would never get to taste the grapes that he tasted in that land. They would never get to put their foot, they would never get to run their fingers in the soil of the promised land land it must have broken heart and I think it broke his heart and I think for a lesser man you would have become cynical 45 years you would have gotten a bit hardened it would have been really easy to compromise because think about this the delay in the promise being fulfilled was not the fault of Caleb it was the sin of others that caused the delay and he could have been bitter. He could have been angry. I mean, he could have thought, man, this isn't fair. I believed. I trusted. And now we've got to wait these 40 plus years. But that's not what he does. He's not cynical. He's not hard hearted. He's not compromised. He continues to trust. He has patience. For 45 years, he believes in the character of God. He believes in the word of God. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, I believe it's in your notes, says this. We do not want you to become lazy. Say lazy. (laughs) But to imitate those who through faith, and here's the word patience. Say that word, patience, inherit what God has promised. 45 years, that's some patience. That's some patience to believe and trust in God. 45 years that God would come through. I want to say to you tonight, it's never too late for God to fulfill a promise. For some of you, God has spoken something in his word, uh, something he's spoken in your heart, and you're thinking, man, years have gone by. Is it still going to happen? It's never too late for God to fulfill a promise. Maybe the promise is delayed because of something you've done. Maybe it's delayed because of something somebody else has done. It's yours to trust. It's yours to say, God, you have my whole heart. I look to you. I trust you. Don't give up. Through faith and patience, you will inherit that which which has been promised. Finally, I want to say this to all of you, maybe as a reminder for some of you who are kind of getting closer to Caleb's age. God always has more mountains to give us. You are never too old to take on a new assignment. I don't care if you're 85 or 91. Real quick, do something with me. Put your fingers here. You can put it on your wrist. Maybe check your neck. Check your pulse. Some of you are checking your, your, your partner's pulse there, the person next to you. You can do that too. <laughs> you got a pulse? Then you got a purpose. As long as you have a pulse, there's always the opportunity for another mountain. There's something that God has for you. I don't care how old you are. There's never a time when you just kick back and say, I guess I've done all that I've done. This is it. No. Some of you who are young, I want to say that to you. And some of you who are kind of more on the twilight years. Caleb was 85 and there was still more. God always has more for us. As long as you have a pulse, there is a purpose for your life. There'll always be something else. For some of you here tonight, Maybe you're even a bit older. You may not have yet done the thing that you will be remembered for. That's right. Some of you perhaps have done some great things, but perhaps it's that thing that is still in front of you. That's the thing like Caleb. Most people would have thought, oh, Caleb, what you, you're kind of known for that thing you did at 40. I mean, you stood firm. That's pretty awesome. Man, high five. No, 85, this is what Caleb was forever known for. Give me that mountain. I'm gonna go kick some giant's butts. You know I mean? like That's what he's known for. Some of you don't yet You don't know what might yet be in front of you. That might be the thing that you are forever remembered by. Some of you are young and you're just setting out in life. You're thinking, I just want to graduate, I want to do this. I want to challenge you tonight. Don't waste your life. Don't waste the life that God has given to you. Don't serve God half-heartedly because I want to tell you, a half-hearted life is a miserable life. A lukewarm life is the worst place you can possibly be. You will be the most miserable person. Nobody will want to hang out with you. You're just like annoying. The best life is a wholehearted life. Hallelujah. Don't waste your life. For some of you on the other end, maybe you're, you're at that place where you're financially almost able to retire. Great, praise God. Now, now get on with the rest of your life and say, God, what do you want for me? And I can tell you it's a lot more than just simply collecting seashells. <laughs> yeah, you can do that too, But they're... they're how do I say? There's a lot more. I was going to say something, but I might get a letter. about that. Anyway, there's a whole lot more that God has for your life. Some of you are just figuring out what the next steps are. Again, don't waste your life. Don't, don't buy the quote-unquote American dream. Don't simply live for comfort and convenience. Don't just try to find the easy way out. Don't try to avoid all the giants that come in your life. Seek first Jesus and his kingdom and go and do whatever he says for you to do. I'll close again in this poem. Only one life and it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the life of Caleb. Thank you, God, that you have chosen to record this story for us, a man who wholeheartedly served you. And God, may we be a people who wholeheartedly serve you. May we be a people who say, Lord, I don't want to waste my life. It's precious. It's a gift. You've given it to me. And with every breath that I have, Lord, may I serve you. With every beat of my heart, Lord, may it be given unto you. However, wherever, whenever, Lord, I pray all of our answers would be to you, yes. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want us to go, however you want us to do it, whenever, Yes. yes. And we know that is the blessed life. Jesus, we love you. We thank you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.